and welcome back to my podcast. I have a guest today. It's been a while since I've had a guest, so I'm excited to have someone on today. Um, it's somebody who I actually met through this podcast, which makes, honestly, I am really excited for this one. I'm really excited for him to be here. It's Mitch Miller. How you doing? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm doing great, Rich. How are you doing? I'm really well today. I'm really well today. Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling energized. That's how I feel. You do? Yeah, because it's like, oh, it's great to have someone on the podcast again. It has been like, I don't think I've had someone on since uh, Emma, which would have been back in like March, I think. So. Oh, cool. Yeah. All right. So this has been quite a long time. This has been three or four months then. Of me doing, oh, since I've had someone on? Yeah. Yeah, right. I've been doing them on my own. I just, I just wanted to like kind of get to work on my own a bit. Um, you know, I was doing like one with a, a, week, a podcast with somebody every week uh, with my football podcast. So I just didn't feel as much of a need to have uh, someone on. But instantly, like as well, having someone in person, it's like, oh, wow, this, this is what I actually kind of had in mind when I started my podcast was like interviewing, speaking to people who I meet physically while traveling. And you're definitely like the definition of that, which is amazing. So and, you know, you're also a really interesting guy, and we're going to get into all that later. Um, so, first of all, you know, how about you introduce, like, how did we meet each other? Well, I found Rich under an overpass. Uh, he was uh, a destitute man where he did not have more than a dollar to his name. It was a very, very sad sight, and I nursed him <laughs> back to health. He had a broken wing, and I re- released him back into the wild. I'm just messing. All right, so, uh, seriously, though... <laughs> If I'm taking the piss out of you, Rich, and you want to edit it out. Uh, oh, no, but those bits always stay in. I feel like, <laughs> yeah, they have to stay in. Uh, basically, I met Rich through his podcast. It's kind of funny. I met him because one of our mutual friends was a guest on one of the earlier episodes of his mm. podcast, if you guys remember Will. So me and Will actually worked together. And he had told me, hey, I'm going to be on my friend's podcast give it a listen. And I was like, okay, cool. You know, it's been a long time since I actually had listened to a podcast from someone that my friend had actually been on. Mm. And so I gave it a a, a shot and I ended up really liking Rich's voice. Uh, Rich has a really great voice. Uh, He holds your attention. He captivates you. He is... uh, Oh, what's the guy that does the nature documentaries for the BBC? No, no, no. Stick to... Keep praising me, please. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. You're not going to be able to carry oh, David that weight, Atlas. David yeah. Attenborough, Bella. <laughs> David Attenborough. Yeah. And so this guy's like the English... Well, I guess David Attenborough's already English. But this is like the second coming of David Attenborough. <laughs> I can see him like looking at a chameleon on a tree. And he's like, look at this chameleon right here. He, he, he does not understand. And somehow David Attenborough is getting into an Eastern European accent. And he's going to be selling you a Yugo. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, but no, in all seriousness, I did write Rich uh, an email about his podcast. And I had actually personally done a podcast a few years ago. And I was just writing an email saying how much I kind of liked his podcast and just some of the things he could maybe improve a little bit with the audio. And surprisingly, Rich wrote back to me and I didn't get strangled through the computer. Because I thought I was being like overly harsh on the guy, but he took it in stride, and I mm. think, uh, at least in my mind, appreciated the comments I had made about it. And then, how many episodes are you in now? Um, this, so I've done up 
today of recording, but it, this will not be the 19th episode, I don't think, but for the day of recording, I've made 18 episodes for this, but I've also made 18 episodes on a different podcast, so I've done like 36 this year. I mean, that's, that's pretty phenomenal. It's sporadic, I mean, like, it's, um, but I just wanted to say, actually, about what you, the stuff you said to me, um, the, but, you know, I remember thinking at the time, it was really nice of you to take the time out of your day, to, for a guy you don't know, you know, you didn't do it to get anything out of it, so I really appreciated the, uh, just everything you said, you know, like, and, and, you know, um, you know, criticism is something that you have to get ready for sometimes, I think, but it was spot on criticism. Uh, and everything you said was spot on. And it's not all done and dusted like this. I still have a long way to go as a podcaster. And, you know, um, I'm trying to become a lot more like, I guess, um, what'd be the word? Acquainted? No, but I've become like a machine. I was trying to think of another word, but like, yeah, I want to become like a machine with it and be able to make them a lot more quickly. And that's the only way I'm going to be able to improve. I, I mean, mean, now you could put your shows through chat GP. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's basically if you want to become a machine and just like pump yeah. something out like that. <laughs> I mean, that's the way you do it. But yeah, yeah, don't. I wouldn't stress over the number mm. of podcasts you're putting out a week, but just the quality of oh, it. It's not about. Yeah. So it, it exactly. So the thing is, for me, though, when I was only making one a week, I, I don't think that's how I'm going to improve in significant ways for me. Like I want to be constantly making them and then constantly thinking about my process, constantly thinking about. How am I delivering it? I want to get, but I need to get a lot better with the technical stuff, and also, you know, just other things as well. But anyway, um, I do want to talk about actually your podcast. Oh no! Before Why? I mean, today is about religion, but I want I have to talk about this since you're on because your criticism of me when I first read it, I was like, it meant nothing, but it meant everything, right? Because it was a guy who took the time out of his day to contact me through my podcast. That's the dream. To be honest with you, when someone reaches out about your podcast, it's a dream, isn't it? Like, it's like, oh, someone's actually engaged with it. That's amazing. But, you know, uh, when I listen to your podcast, 6PI, which is great. I mean, I'm not even going to explain the name. I don't think we should. You should go and listen to Mitch's podcast, which is definitely going to be linked everywhere. Uh, you know, oh, yes, you should. 100%. It's great. And um, But, like, when I listened to it, I was instantly like, oh, wow, this guy's like, I'm not even saying this to kiss your ass, like, you do have a talent for it. And I immediately felt that. And I'm looking you in your eyes because I mean it. Like, you do have a talent for it. And if you brought that podcast back, I'm a listener. And I would be pecking your head going, hi, do you want me on? Can I come on? Can I come on? So, you know, I'm just putting out there, um, you know, obviously it's your choice, but, you know, it, it's really cool. And when I listened to it, I was like, wow, this guy has a passion for podcasting. He clearly listens a lot. He, cl- he made th- 30 podcasts and they were all of high quality you started from the get-go on a really high level like there's a lot of things about your first podcast that I still am not like are better than what I currently produce and there's certain things that you did in your first podcast and I'm saying that you know I mean like your first podcast I remember listening to it thinking like this guy's like his sound quality is on point his um and you had you had your intro and outro straight away as well which I thought was like a nice thing to have. I still don't have an intro and outro like we were talking about a minute ago. Your logo, your your name, everything was like clearly thought through. Something you'd had in your mind for a while. So um, it meant a lot, everything you said. And it became even more weighted. Like your criticism has become more valuable to me after listening to your podcast. Because I was like, this guy's... Do not listen to the man behind the curtain. He only tells lies and lies for profit. 
It is for my demise and my demise only. No, <laughs> seriously, I, I do appreciate uh, those kind words. I can't say every episode I did was to the high standard that you're praising. However, definitely when I had on guests, those were my better episodes. Most of them were my better episodes. Because like you said, there is a certain dynamic when you're talking with somebody where you can play off of them. Mm. There is a certain quality that you can bring out of someone if they're kind of more well-equipped to speaking to someone in a conversation rather when you're speaking alone. Like when you speak alone, you do a better job than I ever did when I was speaking alone to myself. I will I will give you that uh, straight away. Like the episodes that you do by yourself are a lot more interesting than what I did when I recorded alone. Oh, okay. I appreciate that. I mean, you know, um, again, like uh, I, ha- I, ha- I, ha- I haven't gone all the way through all your podcasts yet. So next time you're on, I'll definitely listen to them all because I was very much addicted last night. I listened to, I think, about three or four hours. Oh, my God. Yeah, why? I was, I, well, there was one you had, uh, episode four, where you had a guy talking about his trips around Vietnam, and I was, like, taking notes. I was like, oh, damn, this sounds sick. I need to, like, find out how I can, like, go. It was somewhere in the north, um, like a like a bike journey. He was was that John about. or Matt? I think it was John. Oh, yeah, John's one of my good mates. Mm. So, anyway, yeah, but, like, he's a, he was a really interesting guy to listen to. The Irish guy, right? Yeah, yeah. John. Um, yeah, really interesting guy to listen to. So, um, but, yeah, I agree for sure. Like, I mean... The episode I had with, uh, so basically you're the fourth guest I've had on. Um, you know, the one with Will was a unique episode. Same with Bab, same with Emma. I mean, the same with you again. You're absolutely right. Like, there's something special that each person can bring that you probably, you like you said, the dynamic is unique. It adds a whole different flavor. Like, so yeah, I do want to have more guests on in the future. And I am starting to, people are actually reaching out to me a little bit, like being like, Oh, you know, can I come on? And that's amazing to me. Like, I don't care who reaches out. If you want to come on my podcast you're welcome to because there's nothing to lose by it like and see rich that is something that you got that i never got i had nobody reach out to me really i had okay maybe i got like 40 listeners max per episode Mm. but i mean i even had a dedicated email just for the podcast i never had anybody reach out to me which is kind of a shame because i knew i was getting listens Mm. but that's kind of like the one thing that i always wanted like listener feedback and there were times where I would ask for it, and I would just get zero responses through mm. email, through the Facebook page that I had set up. There was just nothing. And I think you are you were able to cultivate something really early on in terms of getting people to write into your show. I will say this, like, I don't want to... I think, like, the re... I don't... I think for you... And for me as well, like, I don't get that much response. Most people just say, oh, I really, I've enjoyed listening to your podcast and stuff. Um, what I would say, they don't, like, it's not normal for people to ask to come on. And I think the reason is for that isn't because they don't want to come on, potentially. It's because they're worried they're not going to be interesting enough, which I promise you, like, <laughs> nobody needs to worry about. But, um, yeah, I mean, a lot, even, like, other people who have asked to come on the show, they've been like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm in- I've heard that is a common phrase. I don't know if I'm interested enough. So I think it's a lot of most of the time it's inwards. It's like I would like to go on the Joe Rogan show, even though you don't like him. If he invited me on, I'd obviously say yes. Oh, me too. But I would be very worried about not being interested. You know what I mean? Like even though I know I'm interesting, I'm not insecure about it. It's like 
I just don't want to have to go on there and talk for three hours. That's the thing. So, <laughs> his episodes are like four or five hours long. And listen, I do listen to uh, different podcasters that will go past the three-hour mark on occasion. Mm. But I know they break it up into different days. Like mm. They record over a period of two or three days. Um, but it seems like Joe Rogan, he'll, he'll just have like an hour and a half conversation straight with someone. And then he'll put in 20 minutes of bullshit with the same person. But... I don't know. To be fair, I've never really sat down and watched a podcast of his, but I know they're like four or five hours long. Yeah, I've never listened to a full one. I've watched like clips of his stuff, really. Like it's mostly like 20, even 30 minute clips. How, how many does he put out a week? I don't know, but he's made an absolute shit ton of them. I think he got started before everybody else was getting started in it, and that's how he made his money on it. Probably, um, yeah. I mean, I mean, Spotify paid him a fortune, like. They reckon like two hundred million, and apparently he's up at the end of the year, and somebody's coming in offering him a hundred million. I mean, Spotify are going to try and keep him because they're trying to create the monopoly, aren't they, of the uh, podcasting industry? Well, it's really hard to, I think, subscribe to a podcast service nowadays that's just solely dedicated to podcasts. I used to like subscribe to Stitcher, and they just went under; they went bankrupt. Hmm. It's really hard for me as a person to like pick one subscription service that offers like premium podcasts. Because to me, like, if I'm not going to listen to any of these shows, well, I can just listen to the free ones on your platform. And my podcasts don't have ads that I listen to. Mm. So at that point, at the end of the day, what's, you know, making me pay that extra four bucks to go subscribe to a premium podcast that I may or may not listen to? Right. Yeah. And it's like, I don't care if I get 100 podcasts on a subscription service. Like, if I don't like any of them, or if nothing piques my interest, it's like Audible, okay? They have, like, Audible Premium, and you can listen to their Premium Plus catalog. Mm. To be fair, a lot of their books are shit. <laughs> right, yeah, of course. Um, Some of them I found. I found, like, a, a Dracula dramatization with Tim Curry. I was like, oh, I love Tim Curry. Tim Curry, you know Tim Curry? Uh, I've heard of him. Have you ever seen the... 1990 miniseries it yes he's the clown okay and he's really good in that he was in uh rocky horror picture show have you ever seen that no <laughs> uh he was in that one crossover for nickelodeon cousin skeeter and keenan and kel and he was in that he was in scary movie too okay he was the old guy who owned the mansion okay oh right so he's done a bad bit then okay yeah he's a really really exceptional actor like on the level of philip seymour hoffman like Mm. just phenomenal Mm. um but yeah i mean i did find one book and the only reason why i re-signed up for the premium subscription service is because they offered it to me for another month for free so right well i mean that's what they do all the time with that sort of stuff and yeah, I think a lot of the time, like when, you know, like Joe Rogan had his podcast available completely uh, for free on YouTube for years. And I think, um, you know, obviously when they're back, they're doing that sort of stuff, they're hoping that they're going to like drag an addicted audience to their platform, like in the same way of Netflix had bought Game of Thrones halfway through its filming. You know, everyone who liked Game of Thrones would subscribe to Netflix. Do you know what I mean? Like, because they would have needed to to watch Game of Thrones and they would have done it gladly. So, like, you know, I think there's that, like, natural um, way of trying to lure people in. Yeah, and I, I, I definitely have seen 
podcasts do it correctly. Like I used to listen to Gilbert Godfrey's podcast mm. when he was still alive. And unfortunately, yeah. he passed a couple of years ago now. One of my favorite people in the world. Mm. Just a really good human being and just a comedian that can make me laugh like hysterically. Yeah. What he was doing with his podcast was he would have a mini-sode that came out on every Thursday. But the mini-sode by itself was 20, 30 minutes long. And it would just be him and his co-host talking or him and his sound engineer and a couple other people. Maybe his wife was on. Mm. who was very interesting to listen to because she had spent time and time in showbiz yeah. over the years. So like when they do something like that, where they give you an extra 20, 30 minutes of programming and it's unique, it's something that you don't get on the regular podcast, then yeah. But if, you know, for instance, like after Gilbert Godfrey had passed away, they weren't going to produce the show anymore. They weren't going to release new episodes. They had three or four episodes in the tank of what they had recorded before Gilbert had passed. And after that point, well, it's not really worth paying for the archive of all of the mini episodes that they had on there. And they did like 150, 200 mini episodes. Like it was quite a bit. Mm. Well, there you go. I mean, yeah, fresh content's always needed for subscription services to make sense anyway. I mean, that's how people get addicted. Um, And obviously (laughs) he couldn't make any more. So (laughs) Um, yeah, no. And uh, well, actually I feel like this is a good impasse now to bring on today's, topic or well, well the i mean we've we've had a good little chunk of talk there yeah, actually we've done a, yeah 18 minutes <laughs> um but you know that's what we naturally do that's one thing about uh you actually why i wanted you on so badly because we do just naturally yabber on um so the reason we met the reason sorry the reason i wanted to meet you though because we spoke for a while by email didn't we and um i remember the moment where like, i really wanted to meet you is when we were you responded to my religion podcast which to this day I consider, in terms of my solo podcast, to be my best podcast yet so far because I just felt like it was one that I was able to like get views across and I don't know, I just really enjoyed making that and you know certain topics just go well, don't they? Um, and you responded to it and what made your response so special to me was you are, well, we're going to get into it, but you didn't necessarily agree with everything I said, but you were able to like, understand it respect it resonate with it to an extent potentially um and yeah it made meant a lot to me that someone who maybe didn't agree with what i was saying could like appreciate where i was coming from and it meant that i'd got my point across well because that was the whole point of it like i'm not here trying to you know win a debate about religion do you know what i mean per se like i have my opinions and you know that's what it is and you know just in case someone hasn't listened to the first religion podcast i would recommend doing that because it gives the back set for this one but yeah i'm like essentially an atheist um but i wouldn't call myself like i don't have i don't i wouldn't go as far to say that i i don't claim there isn't a god i think that's important i just don't see any evidence for it so i live my life like there isn't a god that's my uh, views uh, I want to let's explore you a little bit more first before we get into talking about religion more generally. Um, so talk about uh, you know your life growing up. Like how would how has religion and your relationship with religion been over the years? Like or any kind of like spiritual beliefs or faith you've had? Okay, so growing up, I'll put this in perspective. For the first four or five years of my life, my dad was not in my life. Not due to him being a jerk or anything, but he worked for the Department of Energy 
in the United States, and he drove tractor-trailer trucks. And his job was shipping nuclear material from point A to point B. He was gone three weeks out of the month, so I got to see him for maybe three or four days that fourth week until he was back on the road doing a different schedule. So a lot of my, I guess, original spiritual belief came from my mom and grandmother, who are Jewish, or I guess both have converted to Christianity now, but at the time, they were Jewish. So I grew up celebrating stuff like Hanukkah. I used to eat a lot of Jewish food. I had latkes. I had matzah brai. So I definitely did not have a Christian upbringing. Not in the slightest. There's a nominality to it through my dad. My dad would always say, oh, we're Christian. But most seven-year-old kids don't know what that means. That means most seven-year-old kids do not understand what that actually means. So around eight years old, my dad kind of got laid off from his job. Not in the sense of he did anything bad, but the Department of Energy through that time was going through massive layoffs because... They basically weren't keeping track of the number of hours that their employees were supposed to take for mandatory breaks. And sometimes they were making employees do schedules that made them work through their break time. So some of these people were driving 14, 15 hours on the road straight without a break if they were to meet their uh, time constraint. So around eight years old, my dad kind of came back fully into my life and he really wanted to take me to church. And as an eight-year-old, the first time you're seeing your dad for a long time, and this is really the only interactivity he wants to have with you, is kind of grating, because I really didn't grow up with a father figure. I had a guy that showed up maybe one week out of the month to spend a couple days with me. And even when he was at home, he was out doing his own thing in the yard or working out or working on his car. So he tried to use church as a way to connect with me. And I just was not having it as a kid. I would fight him tooth and nail not to go. It was probably not that I didn't enjoy the church itself. That's part of it, because it was a very traditional style church. You had the hard back wooden pews. You had the Bible and the hymn book in the wooden uh, holder in the back of the pew. And it was just... Not a place for anybody under the age of 18 to enjoy. Uh, I did not like going to the children's service because I was not a very socialized kid when I was younger. I didn't have friends. I had one friend in the neighborhood who was two years older than me. And that kind of ended around the same age my dad came into my life uh, full time. Uh, So, yeah, from the offset, I didn't like church because the church we went to was so freaking traditional. And I didn't understand why, as a kid, I had to go. My dad really never made it a point of why I should go, besides you should go because you should go, and that's what you do. And so I fought him from age 8 to age 16 on it. And, I mean, it was always he was taking me back to the same church. I don't know what about this church that he loved so much, but it was his church, and he wanted to go to it. My mom rarely would go to church with us. My grandmother maybe came once. I think they may have thought the same thing, that this church is a very boring church. The pastors were very nice, very sweet guys. Uh, Both of them have passed away now. They were older gentlemen. Um, But 
they probably even say this is not a place for anyone between the ages of five and 16. And if anybody's between that age, they should probably go to the children's service. So around 16 years old, he just said to me one day, all right, I give up. Do what you want. I don't care. I can't fight you anymore. And so for two years, hey, I got to sleep in on Sunday. Uh, my dad kind of just stopped asking me to go. And then maybe about two years later, when I was about 18 years old, I was in my senior year of high school. It was around my birthday, I remember, around Christmas time. And I just remember my mom coming up to me saying, hey, it's around Christmas time. I know your dad would appreciate it if you went to church. I was like, why? Like, just dying inside. Like, why should I even do this? But at the same time, I didn't want to fight with my dad. Uh, things with my dad had been kind of rough during my teenage years. We got into it a lot. And same thing with my mom. So I was like, okay, I'm not going to fight this one. I'm not going to fight it at all. I'm just going to try my best to suck it up and go into this experience. Little did I know that it was a different church. So basically, I had never known this up until this point. But the traditional side of the church with the traditional building and, you know, the stained glass windows across the street had a contemporary church to it. It was the same damn church, and it had a contemporary worship service. And I just thought, why did he never try to take me to that one? After being years and years uh, <laughs> following God, I'm like, I'm sure he would have probably got me to go a little sooner if he would have taken me to that one. But he's a stubborn old git. Um, <laughs> so I end up going to that service for Christmas. And you know what? I liked it. There were modern instruments. People were playing guitars, piano. People were singing something that wasn't from 200 years ago. And I thought, okay, for a church service, this ain't too bad. I can't remember what the pastor talked about. I'm sure it had something to do with Jesus coming to earth as a baby and being born in a manger. Mm. It, it's a traditional Christmas message yeah. and about uh, Christ and salvation. So I'm assuming it had to do something with that. But I didn't totally hate the service. And then I went back the next week with my dad to the same place. And again, can't remember what the pastor talked about, but I was like, okay, this is okay. A couple of weeks went by and my dad asked me to go to church again, but to a different church. And I was like, mm, okay, I'll appease him again. And this one I went to, it was like a rock concert. You had electric guitar, you got bass, you got somebody on the drums in a drum cage. I swear this was a concert, Rich. And I was like, what? You know, this completely transcends what I thought of church. The pastor came out, gave his message, very skin-deep message, but it's something that resonated with me. And I could feel like something in that moment kind of clicked on. I didn't realize it yet. But I knew I really liked this church. Something about it, the energy, the people. I really did enjoy this church. So after about the second or third time of visiting this church, I ended up accepting Christ. On my own, my dad wasn't even there. I got baptized that same night. 
I was going to do it the first night that I went there, but I was kind of like not wanting to do it in front of my dad. I still had a lot of animosity towards my dad with what he did with religion early in my life. And just so happened the third time that I went, they were baptizing people again. And I thought, okay, my dad's not here. I want to accept Christ. I want to do this. And I ended up getting baptized in front of like a couple hundred people. Kind of unnerving. But that was kind of like how I came to become Christian. And what was the thing that made it click? I'm not entirely sure. Maybe it was being in a community that I got a feeling of love from. Maybe it was more or less... I agreed with the pastor's message and he really didn't make a huge press for people to get baptized. He's just like, you know, we usually don't do this, but we had so many people get baptized last time. We're going to do it again. We usually don't do it twice in a month. And I'm like, I'm going to take this opportunity. I'm going to go do it. And I was the first one out the door, you know, to go get baptized. That's how excited I was to go do it and accept Christ. But in terms of what actually made me in that moment decide I don't know. It, we can't base things off a of feeling. I knew in that moment, though, that I felt like this was something I definitely needed to do. That if I didn't do it now, then I felt in that moment that I felt like I could never do it again. It always adds the human element, I think, those stories to, you know, the complexities of, like, you know, um, any kind of, I guess, individual and their own journey in regards to, like, spirituality even not having spirituality comes with a story right and then obviously having spirituality comes with a story too and that it sounds like you had like this tug between yourself and like your dad and then you know it's a very conflicting emotions right conflicting emotions would be the correct term i mean i got baptized as baby okay and then i, too. I got confirmed do you know about that no i'm not um, I'm pro. I was Protestant, um, but they were like, I remember getting. Conf- I remember. I don't remember the confirmation, but I remember the being involved in the process to getting confirmed, and people saying to me, "You can get confirmed if you want to, but this is pretty serious, Richard. Like, if you get confirmed, you're saying that you're committed to this, which is, you know." I mean, what, two, three it, years later, I wasn't religious anymore. But right. <laughs> So clearly I was <laughs> not as committed as I thought I was at that point. But, um, you know, it's interesting to think about, you know, like, uh, I mean, wait, there's, there's, getting, there's getting baptized, getting confirmed. There's something about being, putting your head underwater. What was the thing? Okay, so that has to do with baptism. Okay. And not to go on a whole theological argument of what counts as baptism and what counts as not, so... The churches that I had gone to, they believe in full immersion baptism, which okay. is basically you got to be dumped mm. for it to count. I mean, that, that's such a simple way of putting it. And to be fair, it's more or less, how would you say, accepting God in your heart that's going to save you, not if you go all the way under the water. Yeah, yeah. Um, most of the churches I went to did not believe in infant baptism. With the traditional church I went to when I was a kid, they did infant baptisms which the churches i went to later on in life did not believe that that counted and like i said i'm not going to go into the whole theological arguments on both sides of it so we never had confirmation 
Mm. The baptism is, would be the confirmation, right? Because you did it as No, as a... the confirmation itself would be the accepting of Christ. Uh, the d- baptism is the display to the public mm. that you believe in Christ. Okay. So the baptism is more symbolic. It really, in my opinion, doesn't count towards anything except you're publicly professing your faith to people. And you're doing it to a church who also believes the same as you. So the impact on why you're doing it, it's more of a personal reason than it is to show others outside the church that you're doing it, usually. Unless they have it in a park somewhere and somebody can see you. But yeah, we don't really have an official confirmation process. That's something that we associate more with the Catholic Church. I'm guessing in England they do something a little differently. Because you said you grew up Protestant. Was it like Anglican, Unitarian? I don't know. You don't know? I just know it was Protestant. To be honest with you, I don't know. I mean, it went there for years. But um, I mean, my family, only upon reflection, like my mum came from a more, uh, like I guess, I guess the adjective I use is strong religious background than like my dad's side so like there was like a very big mix and um after my mum's in upon reflection again after my mum's first because my mum had cancer then she became what she thought was better but I didn't know this I don't even think my dad knew it but she'd been told look this is a very aggressive form of cancer the likelihood is it's going to come back even after like having your breast removed it's probably going to come back um so after that, she became a lot more like she would go to church a lot more. Um, you know, there's comments she said like, "I'd just be happy if I got to see you turn 16." And this is when she didn't know she had cancer again. So it kind of says a lot, that doesn't it? Um, but uh, I remember actually, and like one of the, and when she had terminal cancer in the hospice, she got a full bathed baptism. She went fully underwater. So I don't, obviously I can't ask her like why she did that per se. I remember her explaining it to me and she was very casual about it again. Like my mum wasn't like trying to, as long as I was Christian, she didn't really care what I thought. Do you get what I mean? Like if I just thought now all you need to do is get some water on you. If, if, if I just thought anything really, as long as I was accepted Christ, she didn't care. Um, but she seemed to like have mixed feelings about the strength in which so the full bathed baptism sounds to me like like the full dunk, as you put it, which is a funny way of putting it. Sounds like the more um, I'm going to say hardcore, just for the sake of like the lack of a better word, like Christianity. Whilst like you know, she I think she had that in her heart, but then like she was also like ah, oh, you know, really that stuff doesn't matter. Like she had like mixed feelings, is what I kind of get from it. But anyway, just make these are like mem- these are the memories I have of religion, so to speak, of being Christian. Um, and I know, actually, I wanted to ask you about this because we've gone through your story of how you became accepted Christ. Is that how you would identify yourself in as someone who's accepted Christ? All right. So, yeah, I think that is a better way to describe my belief. The term Christian holds a lot of ideas. I don't necessarily agree with the cultural aspect of what a Christian is. Religiously, like believing in the Bible and stuff like that, that I do agree with. I do agree with the teachings of the Bible. But culturally, I was part of the church from the age of 18 to 22. I was a really active member. 
And to be fair, I was still part of the church up until I was 24, but a lot less actively. I was a youth group leader. I was in small groups. I did Bible studies. I went on church field trips. I went on men's retreats. I did the whole shebang. I went on mission trips. I was really dedicated to this. But a lot about what affects Christian culture is the stuff that affects society. The same problems that happen in the church are what happens in regular society. Just because you're Christian doesn't mean you're a good person. I want to point that out straight away. The people I'm most harsh against, or most harsh on, I should say, are Christians. I don't feel when I say that that I'm being judgmental. It's just I see people do things that I know in their mind there's a better way to approach, but their execution is so simple and not thought through that it comes across as boorish and just harsh and does not overly doesn't it does not give people that sense of Christianity cares for them people do not receive that message when they're outside of the church I know that was a really long awkward thought there but to put it into perspective when I was very active in the church I was very against myself seeking out parts of me that were homosexual. So, I'm gay. Yay. I should have maybe let off with that to put it in perspective a little bit more. But when I was like 16 years old, I kind of found out I was gay just through my own self-exploration and how I didn't have any attraction towards women. I mean, yeah, we've all been through that, maybe on different ends of the... So, I mean, we've all been through the same explorations. <laughs> you know, it may be to different outcomes, but yeah, so you don't have to explain why you, like we, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, you get it. Naturally, yeah, you, you're, naturally, you're, you woke up and you were like, no, 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 I'm gay. You just, yeah, I get that. I can tell That's kind of how the thought came to me, though. I was lying in bed <laughs> one night and I was thinking, you know, I really, I'm not attracted to girls. Why is that? And I'm like, I wonder if I'm gay. And then it was like, light bulb, bing. Yeah, right. <laughs> so when I first started getting into the church, I made it a mission of mine not to go for my gay desires, not to date men, not to identify as gay. I really tried to push back on it. I made it almost an identity of itself as to where I'm celibate and I'm a gay guy and I don't do this. Even though the people in the church were very happy that I was abstaining for it, they didn't like the way I went after it. Because people saw, oh great, he's being celibate, but at the same time, at the same time, oh, he should shut up about it. They still didn't like the idea of a gay man in the church I was going to, or the first two churches I was going to, because it made them uncomfortable. Sometimes in Christian circles, we automatically associate gay with something else completely. So I never felt 
that I had that full community support. I was also a guy, I didn't have any friends growing up. I was going through a lot of emotional shit at home. I also did not know how to socialize well with other men my age. So I was a bit overly attached to people. And that's something that I just worked out over time. But that drove a lot of people away too. Can I ask you? Yes. Um, there's a couple of questions that come to mind about that. Okay. Um, I'll start. I mean, those people who are doing those things to me, you know, they're obviously never going to treat you like that, treat you respectfully, because they're encouraging you to be celibate, which by default, in my mind, means they're homophobic. Like, they're going to be homophobic. There's no way they're not homophobes. Like, it, from my experience in life, somebody who promotes, you know, like, those sort of things is bigoted. Like, they might, they might be a nuanced bigot, so to speak, if I'm going to be kind, but they're still a bigot just because they, they might go, no, I, I love you so much. And that's why I'm promoting a way, a way of life to you that is damaging. Like, it can be very damaging. That is very true. And there are different levels of bigotry. 100%. And that's, yeah, but, but they are like still bigoted in my mind. But what are your thoughts on that? It's tough. There are definitely Christians out there who are gay and are celibate, and that's their choice. And they choose to make that choice, and that's perfectly 100% fine. I don't have any trouble with that. If they feel like that's what God's called them to do, and they have healthy resources at their place of worship... (laughs) Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you. It's just like the idea you're suppressing yourself like that. Mm Mm-hmm. That is not healthy. Like, well, I don't I mean, think the word... I'm sorry, I don't mean to... I'm, I want you to finish your point because I think you know way more about this. You've lived it. This is the point line. But to me, and maybe this is like one of those moments I'm struggling to hold my stronger views, is like, I just think, like, it's so sad to see people have this happen to them where, like, they've been told, like, they need to suppress this within themselves. Like, you know... Um, at no point in my life have I ever needed to suppress myself in my desires in these respects, like, you know, and like, I just think it's a tragedy that people have to do that, or they feel like they have to, and it feels like self-hate. From the outside, it looks just purely like self-hatred. Like, you know, it seems to me it's like the equivalent of someone like, you know, trying to change their skin color almost, like, you are gay, accept it. And be happy with yourself. Learn to literally love yourself. Don't hate yourself. Like, that's what it comes across as. Right. There are different levels of thinking on this. There's definitely the level where you have pointed out where a lot of it's about suppression. I met a gay guy once. He claimed he was gay. He wasn't gay. He had a couple curious flirtations with guys, but he was he was not gay. But He was cheeky. He was a little cheeky. Yes, but he was not at all gay. But he ended up getting married to a girl who I was, I'm I'm not meaning to assume people's sexuality, but I'm pretty sure she was gay as well. She's lesbian. Mm. And they got married and both of them thought they were both gay, but they had a really good marriage. And if you can be together with someone that you love and make it work, the more power to you. 
to your point about suppression, there is a limit. You have to love yourself. That's the number one thing you need to do. You have to love yourself. There are people saying you should suppress everything gay about you. Just suppress it, suppress it, suppress it, suppress it. And that's what I did for years, Rich. And I must say, I was a depressed and miserable person. There are other people that can get away with it because the resources that they have at church and the different people they have to talk to and that they love themselves and acknowledge that they are gay and just make the choice that they don't want to do it, but they don't look at gay as a sinful or bad thing. That's also up to them, too. If you can get to a point in your life where you're like, I am this way, but I have strong enough religious conviction where I don't want to do this, and you have a good support and a backing from people in your community, it doesn't mean you're not going to struggle with it. It doesn't mean that you're not going to slip up. you got to realize you're an imperfect person and you're trying to do something that's supposed to be perfect in the eyes of God. When I came to Vietnam yes. uh, the first time on holiday, I uh, came with somebody I didn't really know at all. Uh, she was literally somebody who, like, last minute was like, oh, you're going to Vietnam, can I join? And, you know, when you're traveling, going, it wasn't like that, just friends. Just as friends, just for whatever <laughs> context I need. But, um, and she was, like, saying, oh, you know, we were just getting on the first couple of days. And then she said, yeah, I'm Christian. And I didn't know she was Christian, didn't care. And then she said, yeah, um, I think being gay is a sin. And then she kept on talking, like, no one's perfect. Like, oh, yeah, I don't judge people who are gay. Like, we all have our faults. Kept on saying things like that. And this is the thing, like, no one's ever proven something to me that makes you being gay a fault. So it's like, it can get a little frustrating. Like, the only argument that I've ever heard religious people say who are, like, homophobic, they're legitim the way they legitimize it is through scripture. But that isn't an argument a philosophical argument or an argu a argument yeah, you that can't use text to like combat something philosophy if it's not well, just in like the same outside of your religion. Know. I'm not Christian. Or I'm not. I don't follow the Bible. So therefore, just because the Bible says something about being gay, that doesn't legitimize it to me. But the thing is, for me, is this right? I'm a big believer in being honest with yourself, and I still can't help but feel like those respectfully to those people. That the people who are gay and say, you know what, I don't even think being gay is a sin, but I'm just not gonna, I'm gonna abstain. I'm gonna, well, you do, you do think it's a sin then, because otherwise you wouldn't be abstaining, would right. you? Like, you know, I think you just need to be honest with yourself at that point and say, yeah, there's a bit of me that I hate about myself. And 99% of people, if they were honest with themselves and came to that conclusion, oh, no, I don't like that about myself. I don't like, I, like, oh, that isn't a good thing. And I just can't get past it. Like, okay, if someone, of course, what you said is correct. If someone doesn't want to do something, that's their decision. But I'm never going to sit on the sidelines and watch people do things that is definitely going to make them miserable, definitely going to make them depressed. In my mind, is almost definitely not going to lead to good things when whatever way that is. I'm just not going to stand by and sit there and go, oh, you know what? Yeah, mate, that's totally legitimate. And there's no argument I have against that because there definitely is. And the argument is, it's going to make your life miserable. I can guarantee it without even having any experience in it. And I, I will put anybody who has 
lived up, lived that life, abstained from sex because they're gay, and then in the end decided actually no, I'm not doing that. I'm not spending the rest of my life doing that. I, I bet all everybody was depressed. I'd be depressed if someone said to me, "You can't go after girls." Because the society thinks Christianity says that's wrong, the Bible says that's wrong, or whatever. I know there's a lot to this. A lot of people who are Christian might be sitting there going, "No, the Bible doesn't say that. That isn't my point." That's you're going to live a miserable life. So I'm not going to sit there and say now that I think that's a, a good thing that they're doing. If they want to do it, that's their decision. And I know there might be family. There's a lot to it, right? Right. But I can't sit there and say now that like that's... this is the best way I can explain it, Rich. Yeah. I personally, myself, struggle with the religious aspect and the existential aspect of being gay. Mm. I do not have a clear answer. I both believe that being gay is a sin, but I'm also very happy with being gay and being in a relationship for almost six years with another guy. Mm. There isn't a good marriage of these two ideas, and there are two thoughts I have to keep separate. I've just come to accept myself and who I am as a person. And when I finally let myself try and date other guys years ago, my mood, my demeanor changed so rapidly. I couldn't do the celibacy thing anymore. I never got support from the church. I never got any sort of support of besides repress, 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 repress. I got told, go do uh, conversion therapy. I was like, fuck no. Can I cuss on this podcast? Yeah, I've been I've been sorry. I was like, fuck no, I'm not going to do that. And there are many small other stories I could share where there was like a push for me to do something super drastic. I just came to a realization one day, I'm never going to be happy being celibate. That if I'm going to be able to accept myself fully, I'm going to need to explore this area of me. And why I became celibate in the first place is because I was a late bloomer with being gay. And I didn't find out until I was like 16, 17 years old. And I just didn't know what to do with my feelings. I was a shy kid. I found a group through church and I just laid it out to them the first night I was there and just told them, hey, I'm, I have gay thoughts, but I'm not comfortable, and I don't know what to do. And to be fair, for that first night, they were very supportive, and they continued to be supportive as long as they, you know, were there in that group, in that church. At the same time, though, years later, when I was in Peace Corps, that's a podcast for a different day, I also realized that I had a lot of hurt from the church. A lot of hurt from stemming from me trying my damnedest to stay celibate and nobody giving me the time of day. And that was hurt that I carried along with me for years. I have a question for you, if you don't mind. Yeah. I, just to push you a bit more, if you don't mind. Go for it. Do you think that your religious, like... When we're kids, what adults tell us we believe, to a large extent, right? Especially if it's somebody we trust. And is it possible that because you became religious and you would have been accepting anything they probably said at the church at the time as a result, with 
being gay kind of co realizing you're gay was kind of like coincided that you've just accepted that it's a sin like you've never been able to shake that because that's like the, one of the very first things you were told in this situation so how could you question a foundational belief like i just have i just don't see why it's a sin i just can't get past it like Oh, hey guys, um, yeah, uh, flicking a table's a sin. Like, honestly, to me, that is, like, the equivalent of what we're talking about. Like, we're talking about something that has no... I can't see any damage, any negatives to it. Why is it a sin? Like, if there's no reason for it to be a sin other than because we're saying it's a sin, it just makes no sense. Like, I, I just think... I just think the message should be around the world is you know, do what makes you happy as long as you're not hurting other people. You're not hurting other people. Why is it a sin? It comes down to scripture. Right. At the end of the day, it's scripture. Mm. Uh, I'm not going to go over different points. I also believe all scripture is correct. So that part about people believing God and receiving eternal life in Jesus, I also believe that's true too. Mm. And I don't believe God's going to go back on that promise. I believe myself to be a follower and believer in Christ. And when I die, I do expect to go to heaven. I'm going to hold God to that promise, and I know he's going to honor it. We might have an awkward chat about, you know, hey, you were gay on earth. Uh, we might have an awkward ch chat about that when maybe if I get to meet him, or maybe I have to talk to his uh, secretary at the kiosk. I don't know. <laughs> I think they have like a list of like a thousand and one questions of, you know, what's commonly asked when you get to heaven. but. I know maybe I have to explain myself to God one day, but he I know ultimately he loves me. Mm. And to your point, yeah, it's all just comes down to scripture. Nobody can make a philosophical argument with the Bible without using like I guess isogesis by taking the script not the script of the Bible, but the what words written in the Bible and applying it to our current lives or daily lives. So there's no real easy answer for that in terms of maybe what you were saying as to where it was first delivered to me as a sin. I, to be fair, I have a gay uncle and nobody in my dad's side of the family has ever made a big problem out of that. My parents were cool with me being gay before even I started going to church. They're like, yeah, yeah, we kind of knew. Right, well, I which mean, is always comforting. It's like never say that to a gay person. Let's just uh, hear me out. Never say to a gay person if they tell you that they're gay. Never be like, "Oh yeah, I knew." That that's like the most like oh, really feeling. Yeah, just be like, "Oh cool." Okay. Because if you're just like, "Oh yeah, I knew," maybe it's that they were trying to hide it and they didn't realize that they were coming across as gay, mm. and so that might be like a self-esteem thing where it kind of. Makes them a little bit uneasy, like, oh, maybe I wasn't hiding it as well as I thought. How many other people know that I'm gay? Anywho, back to your point. So, my parents never told me being gay was wrong. Ever. Now, later on in years, my mom didn't like the fact I was gay. I've told you about that. But when I first initially said it, I never got any pushback on it. They're just like, ah, oh, okay, cool. Have fun. <laughs> so to your point, your point has validity because I was part of a group of people. I was socialized 
where this was normalized as, an, as the norm. However, we never went out and actively hated on gay people. I think actually the church would do so much better if they actively reached out to the gay community. And even though they don't believe that their lifestyle is correct, still be able to come together and share. Because you can worship with somebody next to you that's doing something that you think is wrong, but you can still be part of that community. It's like we're friends. We have two completely different lifestyles. I don't agree with everything you've ever done in your life. Well, yeah, I mean, I've had sex before marriage, so... Ooh, God, you're, you're a sinner. Do, but do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. So, like, Ooh, I guess well, I get what you're saying, man. Actually, there's a podcast I'm planning to do in the near future where I'm going to talk about a little bit about how when you travel and meet people from around the world, you realize more and more, like, you know, most people in the world are homophobic. They all don't agree with homo- being gay as, like, a moral thing. If you were probably to add up the 7 billion people in the world, most older people in... You know, most societies, it's only really the youngest generations that have, like, in, especially in more traditional countries or, or poorer countries tend to be more conservative. In the Middle East, Africa, you know, Asia. You know, most people, when I say homophobic, I don't mean they, like, hate on gay people. I just mean they don't necessarily agree with the lifestyle. Most people in the world have some racist opinions. Most people in the world have traditional views about what a man and woman should do. You know, does it, I don't agree with all those things. Does that make me a them bad people? No, it means that I need to also understand their perspectives and respect their perspectives. And I want to do a podcast about that, how we have to be more in the Western world, especially in young Western, I guess, like uh, social theories around like, you know, um, how we should treat people, how everybody should be respected and treated equally and not judged. We can then think anyone who does do that instantly is a bad person. When I don't think that's constructive at all. So I completely agree with you. And like, I think that's a, a good point. I just wanted to make that. I think that's a really uh, interesting thing to say. And like I said, the church is like the rest of the world. We have our own little shell. And if you go into any sort of small niche of people, I mean, the church is a big niche. But if you go into any sort of niche of people, it does have that protective coating where... You can get sucked into it as to where you stop hanging out with people who are outside your church mm. or outside your church system. The first church I went to was a mega church. We were getting 500 people a weekend. Wow. Sometimes 500 people for a service. And to the pastor's credit, he said he's going to put a new church every year until he had nine churches, and he did. It's a huge church. You can meet a lot of people. The thing is, we have a problem with Christianity in becoming insular. We don't even work with other churches most of the time. There are networks that join churches together, at least on paper. But I swear, I went to a church one time. We had a church directly across the street from us. And I asked my pastor, do you guys ever talk to the people across the street, the Methodists? They're like, no, we haven't said a word. And so... Really? Yeah. Not even said hello? Uh, they've waved. But you think they'd like actually be like, oh, yeah, I'm the church. I just thought I'd have a chat, you know, it'd be nice to. That's incredible to me. Like, we have so many sects in Christianity that we are. We become so divisive among ourselves. When I was in the first church and we were starting to plant new buildings and build new buildings for our sanctuary and stuff like that. 
I remember uh, hearing some lady say to somebody else, oh, what uh, faith promise are you going to? And he's like, well, I'm going to the one that's over off of Pellissippi Parkway. And she's like, oh, okay, so you go to the real faith promise, not the one out of Maribel. And it's the same exact church. <laughs> like, literally, from top to bottom, pastors to pastors, the same exact church. So we can have even divisiveness in our insular bubble. That's human nature, isn't it? Like, I mean, that's community to an extent. Like, you know, community offers structure, offers support, but it is, there are, there are going to be insular aspects to any community. So I think that's understandable. You know, um, you know, I, 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 I will be... put it this way, Rich. Even though there's so many damn churches in the world, hardly any of them work with each other. Right. Unless they're Catholic. Because everything in Catholic is universal, so you can walk into almost any church on Sunday that's Catholic, and you'll hear the same sermon being preached, which I really appreciate. I think that's a really cool way of, of you'll hear a different, you know, version of the same message, but every priest in that church is going to know, okay, I'm going to preach on John 3.16 today. Right, because they've been told by the higher-ups, yeah. the Pope, you're going to preach about this. Oh. Yeah, and that's nice. I think that's great. Mm. I feel like with Catholicism, they have more of a community like Judaism has. As Protestants in America, we don't have that. Mm. Our community is what's ever inside our church. Okay. And even, I mean, I lived on a street where there were seven churches within two miles of each other. None of them interacted. They were all trying to do their own thing. They were mm. all trying to help the same charities. They were all trying to go out into the community and spread the word of God, evangelize. They never did anything jointly. Right. And to me, it's just absolutely shocking. You would think, even if somebody had a little bit of a different view than you, and it it will come down to semantics when we're talking about Protestant Christianity. That's how sects are formed. It's just Protestantism uh, cut up into small yeah, bite-sized right. pizzas for whatever, you know, fuels your taste. But if any of these churches want to work together, or back to my point, saying reaching out to the LGBT community, sorry, I'm forgetting the rest of the letters to that. My apologies. And they said, hey, you know, we may not agree on everything, but we really want to do something together. I'd say most churches would go for it. But everybody's too scared to ask anything else. I would want to. I want to see a church pair up with a mosque, mm. because I've talked to you before. A lot of the same like delivery styles of the sermon and how things are marketed are extremely similar, and I think most of them don't realize that. But organized religion as a whole needs to reach out to even the people they see as sinful. Not in terms of, I'm holding the Bible out in front of you and I'm talking to you with this as, you know, our go-between. I learned through when I did go out and evangelize to people. You are never going to convert anybody to your beliefs. They need to personally themselves think about it. And if they want to think the way you think, they will tell you and they will ask you. But 
I did not run into any buddy that I preached to where they converted oh, like that. I mean, but it, it goes both ways, doesn't it? I mean, you know, um, I'm my journey from being religious to non-religious was it years. It wasn't overnight. And I could guarantee, like, if I was to ever be religious again, if you said to me, Richard, when you're 60, you're going to be a, a religious person, I could guarantee that will not happen overnight. That would be like a process, you know, like, and that and that's natural for sure, like, you know. But, yeah, I mean, it's really interesting hearing you talk about these different groups, these different, because, again, I stopped being involved in the church when I was 13. All this stuff was like, well beyond my mum i think had a few of these similar views about like because she went to different churches very different churches i think she did try and create like outreach between the churches but there were very different views she went from like a holy trinity church to uh born again christian churches like which are just totally yeah now i've gotten older like they're totally different animals like you know like to put it nicely i don't know if that's not nice i guess (laughs) well no i mean that's completely correct though Mm. and you don't have to be nice about it there are some sects where they're so close where you really have to dig in deep to find the bone of contention Mm. and really the beliefs they disagree on ultimately do not matter because they're semantics Mm. at the end of the day believing in whether you should abstain from alcohol or if it's okay to drink alcohol is not going to get you into heaven or hell one way or the other. Right. We as a church like to call ourselves a body, but we do a really poor job functioning as a body. And I should, you know, point out, I'm not the representative for Christianity. I'm sure if you talk to anyone in the church, I'm a very poor representative of Christianity. No, but you're like the most interesting representative of christianity i've met in a long time and the reason is is because you're gay to be honest that really surprised me i thought i honestly was like oh there's gay people who are christian like i know that might sound really naive to you but like oh there's a lot of gay christians right obviously obviously when i thought about after i was like of course there are but to me like that's made you somebody i wanted to speak to about that specifically because i was like wow like to me that's like too in my personal outside perspective, they were two things that were in contrast with one another in a way that I found difficult to... Not necessarily... I don't think it's contradictory to be Christian and be Christian, actually. To be gay and be Christian, because there's loads of... It's hard gay, to reconcile, There's, there's loads of gay priests in the UK. I'm pretty sure the church I used to go to, I don't know if it still does, had a gay priest. So, like, uh, I heard about it anyway. But the fact you hear about it means it's a it's a deal to some extent. But, like... Um, I mean, maybe the fact that you think it's a sin and you're gay, that, that I find that quite interesting. I mean, there's but, some things philo- uh, philosophically and religiously I'm just not going to be able to marry together. Mm, yeah, for sure. And I'm going to... It's okay for me to have both of these parts. Mm. I like both parts. I think for me, it's completely okay to have both of these parts and not have a complete answer. We talked about faith weeks can't ago. Be impo- it's impossible. It all comes down to faith. Mm. what is like if um i do want to kind of ask you about this what is the big thing that kind of like pushes you to be religious like when you think about like beyond like the fact that you felt it like you said like you initially had that moment when you were 18 where you're like you know oh 
16, 18, I can't remember what he said exactly, but like, you became Christian again. Or you became a full Christian. You got baptized. You felt it. What is the thing for you that like, you know, because I'm sure like all of us, on a, I remember what we think, we have doubts in our life, right? But what are like the things that like you feel like bring you to Christianity? What made you think, yeah, this is the truth, like an objective truth? Purpose. Mm. Purpose is the driving force. What keeps my belief alive today is I do feel that I'm working for something greater. If I didn't feel like there was a God or I didn't feel there was a heaven, I'd just be out doing fuck all. Right. Like doing drugs, drinking alcohol. And that's really not, say, a belief that was instilled in me by the church. It was definitely reinforced. But I think just naturally that's kind of how I'm geared with. If I didn't have any sort of moral or spiritual guidance in my life, I feel like I'd just be like, I'm going to do whatever the hell I want. If I want to try something really risky, then I'm going to do it. Luckily, I did grow up with a very strong moral compass. I did grow up with somewhat of a spiritual background. And I think that did kind of help guide me into becoming Christian. At the same time, I think becoming Christian held me back from exploring my feelings about being gay and learning about homosexuality. It held me back for years, stunted my growth in that area. And I really do regret not exploring that area earlier in my life. Is this part of the reason you think you differentiate between, because I still find it very interesting that you differentiate between being Christian and being and accepting Christ? And you prefer, is it because like Christian has all this baggage of like what it can mean, what can happen inside of Christianity? And is that, do you think that's part of it? Like, you know, you've had this like, but like you are very comfortable with accepting Christ, but you prefer, you prefer that label because it has less to it. You can give it your own meaning, so to speak. Yeah. So, that I'm able to individualize it means a mm. lot to me. And I know there's the old saying, millennials don't like labels. And I'd say for most of that, of my life, that's true. But this is the one thing that I do kind of like bulk on. I do like the term Christ follower a lot better than Christian. Because Christian is such a widespread web of things. And since I went through so much shit when I was in the church through people that were above me, through people that claimed to be my friends, to people that were my so-called mentors. But at the end of the day, how many of them are am I still in touch with today? Right. One. Wow. Just one. And he was the first friend I ever made. And then when I got into Peace Corps, I met another guy who's my best friend. And he's a really strong Christian. And him and I, we pray for each other every time we talk to each other. And he's awesome. He is one of the coolest guys I've ever met. He's very accepting of me. Like, he might not agree with my lifestyle, but he's treated me with respect. He's treated my boyfriend with respect. He's there for me anytime I need him to talk about anything. I mean, he is, like, the perfect definition of an awesome friend. He's also a cool Christian guy. He's very open-minded and very worldly, too. I also have friends that are, you know, Islamic, and we pray for each other, too. Mm. And I'm really thankful that I have 
friends of other religions where we feel comfortable praying for each other. I think that's great. Yeah. I think that is something that should be done more because be able, being able to express your beliefs and share your beliefs with somebody of another religion and not worried about being scrutinized and criticized, I think that's a huge part to what's going to evolve us as a society. 100%. And, you know, this is something I've felt more and more strongly about. It's like, you know, around religion. And this is one of the things I really enjoy talking to you about religion. The reason is because we're not trying to one-up each other. And when you go online and you search religion and you find two people who disagree about a topic, it becomes about one-upping each other. But one thing I've really enjoyed about listening to your story today so far is, you know, I can feel like there's nothing I want to one-up with you about. You know, we've discussed what we disagree about, but I don't, I'm not, there is nothing. It's a very human story. What you're saying is a very human story, how it's brought you purpose. Why? What would be the purpose? And what would be, you know, I'm happy in my life, right? So what would be the purpose for either of us at this stage to try and like force each other to change, force each other, like trying to put each other into some kind of mental corner and, you know, be like, you know, which you see online so much, right? These debates online about regarding religion. And to think about those rich, how many of those debates, those YouTubers that profess Christianity or profess atheism and debate upon a stage, in the whole of it, how many lives have actually been affected by that where someone's made the switch to the other side? Or have they just dug themselves deeper into their burrow, protecting their side? A hundred percent. That is exactly it. Like, you know, um, it's, they say it's a, you're creating a bubble around yourself usually. Usually, most of these people as well, they don't actually even listen to the other side's arguments. They're just going to skip to the, if you're an atheist, you're just going to listen to the atheist arguments. If you listen, if you're, if you're a Christian, you know, if you listen to the atheist arguments and you're a Christian, you're probably going to get annoyed, vice versa. And it becomes this, like, you know, it's, it's 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 toxic, really. I mean, it's a toxic debate. In it's not even see, you're seeing each other as enemies, potentially even, or at the very least as rivals. And it's like, but you know, when you you know, in real life, the average people person is able to interact with people from different religions, different faiths, different belief systems, and you know, it's only pe- the people who get into those bubbles. I've met them. I've I've seen people who have been in these bubbles of debate there was an atheist i knew once and he would like say to christians unprovoked say that like they're without any just out of context of the conversation be like your your religious beliefs are um illogical and like that's crazy because oh. obviously they got offended because he's been a dick and like well, you know that's the whole purpose of it right? right exactly but like you know it's like if somebody just randomly started saying well you know you're on a one-way ticket to hell to me and they meant it, I'd be like, damn. Do you know what I mean? Like, it would be a bit mad. It's like, you know. You know what, Rich? I was in a group of friends that were exactly like that, but from the Christian perspective. And, like, they would argue amongst themselves about the freaking Council of Nicaea. And I don't know why I remember the Council of Nicaea. I just remember the name, the Council of Nicaea, and I can't even remember what the Council of Nicaea is about. But that fucking term is still in my mind, the Council of Nicaea, where they started like debating what's what's Catholic, what's Protestant. Okay. And they would debate this with each other. Shit that happened 500 years ago that 
has no singular bearing like on the total goal of Christianity and belief of Christianity, just like these small little pick-aparts. Mm. And they would do it for hours with each other. But they'd be the same if they saw an atheist over there and they're reading Richard Dawkins or something. don't even have to be an atheist to read Richard Dawkins. I shouldn't say that. Anybody can read Richard Dawkins. Anybody who's curious in existentialism or religion or lack thereof. But they would go up to people like that and be like, oh, you're reading Richard Dawkins. Yeah, he's wrong. And just try to provoke an argument in a fight. And eventually, I just didn't want to engage into an argument with them because both sides, like you said, tried to one-up each other. And they use these really lofty terms that are just way above your head. And they're not even like scriptural terms, like something I can refer to in the Bible. It's something that's been developed over hundreds and hundreds of years of people arguing about shit and trying to apply a certain theology to how they interpret the Bible to mean something over another. And it's just too brainy. It never wins anybody over And I feel like at the end of the day, people are ultimately trying to feel stronger in their faith and feel like they know what they're talking about. Because I knew some of these guys, and their faith sucked. Right, they were actually quite insecure about it in a way. Like, the head knowledge they had was great. It was amazing. They could probably write a hundred research papers on what they believe. But at the end of the day, they were still struggling with their faith. Like, believing if they were good enough. To be accepted to Christ. Believing, you know, am I really truly saved? But that's the most important part of the belief. Is believing that you are accepted. Mm. So, like I had talked to you a couple weeks ago. I think atheism in and of itself can become a religion. Because like you're saying, like there are people out there that want to be ardent defenders. I think, of the I, I don't think... I think there are, like, essentially, yeah, religions that are, like, sprang out of atheism. Mm -hmm. Atheism is, in of of itself, is a singular belief, right? right? In terms of the dictionary, it might change, words change in their meaning over extended periods of time. But I think, like, for the average person who would say, like, they're an atheist, they wouldn't even say the word atheist a lot of the time. They'd say, like, oh, I don't really have any beliefs. But that's actually, in a casual conversation, I'd just say, ah, nothing. But I would just say nothing. Like I wouldn't. I wouldn't say because, like, the thing is as well. It's like I don't have an opinion, right? Really about much to do with all that, other than I don't have an. I don't know much about it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, but it, like more broadly within myself, like atheism to me is just like is it got got the idea of God is the predominant type of faith that we see in society and in the world therefore that's the one that people address but there are other forms of religion other forms of like spirituality faith whatever i've never felt the need to address them because they're not Purchase. popular yeah <laughs> they're not popular you know what i mean um but i don't really yeah but for sure like there are people like there was that era of like christopher hitchens richard dawkins uh, sam harris uh, a little bit of stephen fry too and i'm probably missing some people but you know yeah they created a cult of followers and whilst they would not like to have this said yeah they they created a, a broader belief system than just atheism because i actually remember stephen fry even saying this and it pissed me off 
he said like atheism isn't just about not believing in God, it's about thinking it's religion is damaging essentially. Or something along those lines. I just think that's like well, put it like this. Unless he's gonna go into a dictionary and rewrite it, that's not what it means. So he needs to go and think of a new word. If he wants to try and change that word to mean that, that's fine. But then I'm going to stop being an atheist. I'm going to become something else because that's not my opinion. Like, I don't believe religion is damaging in and of itself at all. Right. It can be. It can be. Like, and there are like a lot of cases. And until relatively recently, I just thought religion was quite damaging to the world in general because of the amount of wars. You know, the Catholic Church, for example, anything bad they can get away with, they seem to do. Like, it just seems to be a policy. I actually wonder if that is their policy. Like, you know, all right, we've got to be more liberal in this part of the world. So we're putting a liberal face in Europe. But in Africa, we're going to try and stop condoms getting there. I mean, that's the Catholic Church in a nutshell. Um, you know, like, they're not, it seems to me like the whole thing that went on with all the priests being pedophiles. Like, rather, it seemed the biggest concern I got from the Catholic Church was not, oh, my God, there are pedophiles rampant in our church. We need to do some of it. Oh my god, this is bad for our PR. Like that seemed to be. It I couldn't help but feel that was the main concern. Like underneath it all, that was the thing they were most bothered by. Um, you know, and if there's a Catholic listening who would like to talk about that, I would be very welcome to have them on because I that's from the outside. That's I could smell that as being the primary concern. Yeah, religion's one of those things, isn't it? It's just like anybody. Like I said in my first podcast, it's a tool at the end of the day so like i think people just use it in different ways and like obviously if it's going to be people use it in bad ways and i can focus on those things you can or you could focus solely on the good things people do and obviously the very definition of what is a good thing what is good what is bad in a religious sense there is an empirical good and an empirical bad a lot of the time based on what the bible says or whatever do you know what i mean but for me what is good and what is bad is not empirical it's subjective um, even the things that I wish in my heart I believe to be empirical truths of good are not objectively that case. Do you get what I mean? I just believe them to be. Like, you know, I believe murder is wrong, but in reality, I don't, I know, I, in my opinion, it isn't objectively wrong in some kind of like, right, deeper sense because murder happens throughout the entire world by every other. Species. For many different reasons. Yeah, but I mean, like you know, a tiger killing another tiger isn't considered murder, but it is in essence murder, isn't it? You know, like, but we consider it something different. I get what you're saying. I feel as though the Bible kind of gets put into this. It's going to be the necessarily step-by-step guide that you need to be successful in life and do good. I feel like people misinterpret that about the Bible a lot. Hmm. It's not a step-by-step guide. It's a book with stories that you can use in your life to help you become a better person. But it's not the end-all, be-all. Every problem you ever have is going to be solved in this book. Book. It's not, in my opinion, not supposed to be looked at like that. I do believe everything in the Bible is true. But it's not your daily guide into every single intricate problem in your life. It is something that you can learn from. It is something that you can, you know, look at and inspire to be like Jesus. At the end of the day, it might not help you solve the problem with your contractor who refuses to build your house until you give him more money. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it's meant to build you the framework of values and behaviors that would better equip you to deal with those sort of day-to-day situations. Correct. 
In some instances, yes. Mm. But the Bible doesn't cover everything that could happen in life, especially not. when it was re- written what over 2,000-something years ago now. Mm. At least the New Testament, Old Testament's a lot older. But a lot of the things that you can glean for the Bible can help you in your daily life and help you do better. But at the same time, you have to remind yourself you aren't perfect, that you will fuck up at times. Mm. And I think that's the most important part about being Christian, seeing that you are imperfect and that you are reaching out to God because you do strive to be like God. But ultimately, you only you know that only God is the one that's going to be able to bring you up to that level of him. When we think back to when you first listened to the podcast, you know, my religion podcast, what attracted you to that? You were just so human. Mm. You were the first non-religious person that I had met that was not pretentious. Pretentious in in the style of, this is what I believe, but if someone else believes something differently, that's great. Religion is not a topic that is usually discussed among people in general, unless they're they're really close friends or you belong to the same religion. But you had a personal aspect to you where I felt completely invited and open to communicate with you about it. Even though, like you said, we have completely different viewpoints on what religion is, what faith is. I knew immediately when I heard this podcast, I could talk to this guy about it Mm. and we could have a great deep conversation and we wouldn't have to worry about railroading each other or trying to disprove each other's points. Because to be fair with people who are not of my religion, those are usually the conversations we end up having, which is not fruitful. There have been some good times where I've talked to people about their religions and we've been able to share it. Like I shared earlier, one of my Best friends, he's a Muslim who lives in Islam. There are some things that line up in the Bible and the Quran pretty well, and then some things that are completely different. But at the end of the day, we can come and discuss these things. And he was really the only other person that I met besides you where I could openly discuss this with him. And there sh- and for him to share the same thing that I could share towards him on the same equal level, that was a big deal. So outside of him, you were the only person that I met that I thought I could do that with. And then when we met up and we talked for like an hour and a half, two hours about it, I thought, geez, I just made a really good friend. Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, Rich, like you said, it doesn't matter what each other believe. We are becoming good friends because I respect you and you respect me. And every time we get together, we go on a two-hour rambling <laughs> section a session about all this different shit. But I like you as a person, not because of what you believe, but how much respect you give to me, Mm. even though I think differently. No, and I think you're actually spot on. Like the human element of all this is the key. Religion is human. And, you know, I think in a lot of people's minds, when you take Islam, for example, like it becomes like this big, broad thing. There's two, I don't know how many people believe in Islam. I think it's 1.5 billion, something Mm -hmm. like that. You know, 1.5 billion people believe in this, and this is what this thing that they believe is. And then you start moving around all these different things, when in reality, each individual person is a human with a different story, a different relationship with that thing, you know. And I think if you were to 
meet more people from England. I think you'd be quite, under UK, you'd be surprised how many of them don't give a shit at all about religion. Uh, and what I mean by that is that would they would be of a similar temperament to me, potentially. Like, they've just not even engaged with it in their life, so they don't even have, like, you know, like, I'm sure they have thought about it, but, like, you know, most of my friends back home, I actually don't know what their religious views are. I know they're not Christian, per se, but, you know, like, I only found out recently that my brother considers himself a Christian. This year, I only found out, I didn't know, like, it's not something people in the UK talk about very much. I remember when you first um, e- emailed me about the religion podcast and you talked about an open dialogue. And I was like, oh, this guy seems down. I'm super down to speak to him. But part of me was like, oh, is he going to try and convert me or something? So I have to say, like, on your end as well, like, one thing I really appreciate, and, you know, maybe in the future we'll talk about this again on a podcast. We're definitely going to talk about religion in person again. I'm pretty confident about that. But is that I've never felt like you're trying to, like, change my mind which i also appreciate because i have met a lot of christians in the past who have kind of like had a tone to them that's pissed me off not in general in life in that in general life they've been great but like when we've spoken about religion or me saying i'm no longer christian they've looked at me like oh there must be some traumatizing reason and you blame god or something like that and it's kind of like so cringy and to be know. fair rich i was that same type of person that mm. you had experienced. And then I internally looked at myself mm. and realized I was also the person that you just described as yourself when you had told them you had left the church. And so once I put that through my mind of, hey, I'm the person that's questioning why this person's not in the church anymore. And to be fair, I still do that. I think that's a natural like response. I don't hold that judgment on people Mm. but i think it's a knee-jerk reaction i don't know why it's knee-jerk but it's just something that i haven't trained myself out of quite yet Mm. i get what you're saying about christians going in with an air of hey i'll be friends with you if you come to my bible study or hey my church is putting on a pizza party we can talk about youth ministry in the church for a different podcast that's a show in of, of itself but we do lack the human element of connecting to someone on a personal level without throwing God in there as a prerequisite. And I think that's something that we truly miss as people of Christ. And, you know, I think it's also like insecurity on both sides. People, like, let's say somebody who's an atheist saw someone who was an atheist become religious. A lot of them would sit there and go, oh, they've just become illogical, they've become too emotional. A sort of thing like that, you know, they've lost their logical side and they've gained this kind of like emotional feelings based side to them. And that's why they've gone down the wrong, the false, the incorrect route of thought. But then like, in reality, what are both those people have in common? I think it's insecurity, insecurity in their own beliefs to accept that someone else has a different opinion to them. That isn't like, and then you have to put something on them a reason for them to have a different opinion to you that makes sense to you. Because then you can argue against that. Do you know what I mean? Like, I hear a lot of Christians would say, oh, you know, I've never had a Christian say this to me, but I've seen it argued that people who were Christian um, were like, and then stopped being Christian, were never real Christians. 
they never really believe because a real Christian would never stop being Christian. Now, I will say with absolute certainty, I used to try and appease it, like, oh, you know, maybe, maybe you're right. Just, for, but actually, you know what? No, I, I definitely believed in God. Like, 100%, I believed in God. And when I was confirmed, I definitely believed in God. But I was going to church multiple times a week. I was living that life. Do you know what I mean? Like, and it was the only truth I'd ever known. I definitely believed it. And in my heart, I wanted it to be true. Um, but, you know, life goes on. You know, it's a long life. Do you know what I mean? Like, when you believe something at 12, 100%, is a 12-year-old's emotions, beliefs, faith, less important, less valid than an older person's faith? It might be less solid. They'll make those arguments, and that's probably true. But it doesn't mean that they're not a Christian. Unless all of a sudden there's an eight. Like, you're not a Christian. You can be a part of a church, but you're not a Christian until you're 18. I mean, is that like, you know, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't make any sense. It's funny because so, we had the same thing in our church, but it was 12. But really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, like, uh, I guess that was the confirmation age, if you want to put it like that. Like, where you can, like, officially accept Christ. You get to move up into the platinum membership. No. <laughs> um, but seriously, no. We had a. Kind of like confirmation classes for people that were of that age. And like that's another, that's something we could go 20 minutes on. I'm not going to discuss it. But to be fair, Rich, you know, when I had met somebody that used to be Christian, but they're not Christian now, I never held the, I mean, I used to kind of think maybe something traumatizing did happen or they didn't have a good upbringing in it. But at the same time, I never doubted that they were, weren't were still Christian on some level. Because mm. I feel like once you're in it, you're in it. You don't lose it. Like, you can go off, and this is going to be controversial to say, but I feel like once you've accepted Christ, you've accepted Christ. Like, even on a personal level, even if you deny it and go and practice something else, I think, you know, God says the faith of a mustard seed. And in that moment, where you accepted Christ in that point of your life, I think that was enough to get mm. you into heaven. So that's my personal feeling on it. It's, okay. it's a weird point, I know, but well, it's an interesting thing as well because, like, I mean, you know, it's like I'm not. I mean, like, you know, the idea of like, you know, some people think the moment you die, you have to have accepted Christ to go to heaven, but like, other, yeah, it's an interesting perspective because, like, in reality, what if someone believes in Christ for seventy years? But on my 71st birthday, they changed their mind and they died the day after. I mean, like, what? <laughs> you know, like, they don't go to heaven. That'd be crazy, right? Right. But There's Adolf Hitler in heaven. If he would have prayed to God before he died. Right. I mean, but, you know, I mean, I fucking hope not. I mean, that's like, <laughs> you know, if, it's a, if it's a heaven, like, fuck, I hope he's not there. But, um, <laughs> they put him off in the corner room. They just, you know. Yeah, right. They send food to his room. They were like, yeah, right, yeah, like, <laughs> just boiled, unsalted potatoes. Um, yeah, but, um, no, nah, I mean, yeah, it's a very interesting thing as well because, like, again, it is that toxic debate we see so much and, um, the way in which people want to approach each other, the way we treat people who leave our circles of thought, you know, it's, it is inhuman. It is, um, just unnecessary, unproductive, and it makes the world a worse place, in my opinion. That's, that's, that's kind of it, you know, like, that kind of discussion and I, I am careful because I don't really want to change my values and I'm always cautious about you know saying 
oh, well, I want to be respectful. So if someone else has got an opinion that I really think is wrong, I'm just going to stand by and try and think of an excuse as to why actually they're being reasonable. And I should, you know, but, you know, they're doing, if someone's using religion in a negative way, I don't respect that. Like, I, I don't respect people who are, like, trying to suppress other people in the church. I do think, you know, what do you think about, I do have a question, actually. What do you think about, um, you know, some people think when a priest does something, like, bad, let's say, the, you know, for example, Catholic Church with all the paedophilia that happened, that that was worse than the average paedophile. Because they're in a position of power in society. They've said that they're above the average moral standard in society. They've put themselves as a moral figure in society. And it turns out they're a nonce. I mean, they're actually at the bottom of the pit. They're the worst of the worst. You know, like, do you think there's any truth to that? Do you think... what? Do you think there's any truth to that? Like, you know, it's worse because they're in the public eye, and like you said, they are seen as an important person who is supposed to be a leader, is supposed to live up to a higher moral standard, and then they do commit that sin. Personally, I weight all sin the same, and that is something I've been disagreed on many, many different times. I feel like on a faith level, any sin can make you go to hell. No matter how big, how small. I think Jesus is that middleman that connects God and human. And without Christ, you don't get to go to heaven. So that's my personal belief on it. It's worse in the sense when they're out in the public eye and they do do this. And the church they're part of know that these guys commit this, and they try to cover it up. That's really, really bad. At the same time, they have a chance to redeem themselves. They may not ever be a priest ever again, but there is a small part of me that hopes that these people do go get help, and whatever they do is not around children. But ultimately, at the end of the day, you do want somebody improving themselves. See, this is the thing for me, like, you know, um, if, I, I, I'm guessing, like, the thing about all sins weighted the same, that's, like, the difference between your spiritual side and your philosophical side, right? Because, obviously, on a, like, a philosophical level, pedos should go to prison. Right. Like, and then, you know, someone who flicks someone else in the eye should not go to prison. Like, if I just flicked you in the eye now, I shouldn't go to prison. Do you know what I mean? That is a sin. Hitting you in the eye is a sin, right? It's like I'm hitting you, I'm causing not, harm. Well, is again, I'm not, not really. I'm not okay. No, sorry, I'm not trying to. I'm trying to think of like something that's a sin, but it's not as weighted in the like, like lying. Lying, okay, perfect. Okay, so like, yeah, have I lied to you about where I'm going to be tonight, or something more serious? Even you know, that's still not the same as being a paedophile, is it? But like, I, so you're saying spiritually, you feel they're the same, but would you say? On a philosoph- philosophical perspective, oh yeah, it's completely different. Because like people from the outside of again, if you're a Christian, you're going to look at the uh, pedophile priests and you're going to say, "Well, okay, they exist, but that doesn't change my faith. I know that my church is good, 
or if you're Catholic, you're going to say, you know, oh, I know my church is good, or like overall, you know, I, I've lived this for so long, I know the majority of people in it are good. But from the outside, we're just going to see, and this is what I saw at the time, that you guys have been lecturing society and telling us how we need to live our lives, and they continue to, but here you are. Right. Do you know what I mean? And it's a very... I don't. I. I. My. I don't go around lecturing society. You know what I mean. Like I don't go around telling people how to live their lives. And from the outside, it was just very like interesting to see that. And I guess it's again, church is a human, aren't they? And I guess that might be also again. I really like the idea of what you were saying. I know to bring it back to what you were saying before, actually about you know, so there's Christ accepting Christ, Christianity. I think you mentioned about millennials not liking labels. I think that's why. I think it's actually a very true thing for accurate and reasonable thing for millennials not to like labels because you know it does bring all those connotations with it when you can have a re- you can be someone who's accepted Christ and look at the way churches are often set up like you were complaining about before and say that isn't correct I can say I'm an atheist and still look at, you know, Richard Dawkins and think he'd been a bit of a dick a lot of the time. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, like, what is the purpose of Richard Dawkins? What is he actually trying to achieve? I mean, I know he's, sometimes I'm like, yeah, fair enough, like he's arguing against people who don't think evolution happened. Difficult for me not to see why he's arguing. He's a scientist, he's getting pissed off because... It's like when people say the Earth is only 2,000 years old, it's like, what? How can you have that opinion? millions. But how can you have that opinion? Like, but that's it, like, I mean, but... At the same time, look, those people, I'm going to go, damn, you think that? Okay. Um, do I get angry by it? Do I, like, lose sleep? Not really. Maybe. I don't know. You're starting to get bags in your eyes, Rich. I've had bags in my eyes for years. Um, but, um, but uh, you know, it's like, that doesn't bother me, per se. Because, again, like, you know, what's the point of getting bothered by that? I don't know. But, yeah. I mean, do you think... Religion, what would you say to someone who said that religion is illogical? Well, are we talking about faith or religion? That's a good point. It's a good, I see what you're saying there. Uh, or oh, I don't know if that was you saying something, but instantly that is saying something. Religion is a set of rules that you have to follow to a T. Mm. Faith is believing in something higher mm. and seeing that they are the perfect representation of what you're aspiring to be and knowing that you yourself can't obtain that, but you're going to try your damnedest to do it. And like I've repeated many times in this podcast, you know, our middleman is Jesus. Jesus died so we could have communion with God. So Christianity as a religion is very strict. Like if you really want to go through every single rule and just look at the Old Testament and what the Jews had to follow and how they had to build a tabernacle to pray to God. I mean, it's just insane. Mm. Like, nobody nowadays would do that. But I guess when you're wandering out in the desert for 40 years, you know, you got some time on, <laughs> time on your hands trying to find right. the promised land. Um, <laughs> but I think one thing we do well in the churches that I went to, what we did well was we did preach the faith aspect over the religious aspect. That religion is rules. Faith is ultimately trying to become like the one we're praying to and worshiping. Mm. And for you, faith is the most important thing, right? Faith is important. Faith is more important than rules. I think we're saved by grace and grace alone. Mm. 
And I remember hearing, sorry, I was just thinking, like, you know, about when I was at church, I remember people talking about a lot, you know, um, you can believe in God and be a bad person. Where does that put you in the world? Do you know what I mean? Like, it's a difficult question to answer again, maybe from a religious perspective or from a spiritual, I don't know, from a spiritual, religious, you know, perspective. Like, but to me, that makes you a dick. Do you know what I mean? Just to be clear, like, you know, but again, I'm not religious, so it's one of the, you know what I mean? But like, I'm just going to see people for what they do or don't do. Do you know what I mean? Like, on a daily basis. Yeah. And, you know, there is, it's interesting because there are, are things I hear that I think are, like, very true. You know, like, but do you think being religious, religion in society, do you think it makes it a more moral society? I mean, but then we have to question where do morals come from? Is it innate or was it learned? And that's a completely different discussion for a different day. Yeah. Ultimately, if we're going to believe it's innate, then society could exist without a religion unless we wanted to argue that God was the one that made it innate inside us, that we automatically knew what was right and wrong. But if it's something that's learned, then through a matter of incidents and accidents and events, we kind of curtailed what we thought was okay. And we can see that through changes throughout society. Like, we're not going and, like, crucifying witches anymore. Mm. All right. So there's no easy answer to that question. Right. And I think that your answer actually pretty much sums up how and why this has been such an amazing podcast for me. Uh, and I keep on praising the podcast throughout because it's just, but it's more the, the, actually when I say the podcast, what I really mean is the discussion we've had on and off about this for, ever since we've been friends. And it's because, you know, there's a lot of like real arguments about from, in these debates that would be had between, you know, hardcore atheists and hardcore Christians, it would be like, you need Christianity to create morality in society. Otherwise it's going to fail. And then there'd be the argument. So, well, look at these societies that already have very non-religious groups, uh, you know, proportions of a uh, population. And in reality, you know, it, I think what you've said there just shows like it. You're not trying to come from it from this crazy perspective of trying to like argue that somehow if everyone just thought like you did, if you just followed these clear rules, they would the world would be a better place, guaranteed, no doubt. Because that's arrogance, you know, and it's the same with like, to be honest, with Richard Dawkins, those sort of people. That, you know, Richard Dawkins argues that he would like want to get rid of religion tomorrow if he could completely from the world. That's arrogance. To believe that just because everyone thought the way you did, that would make the world a better place is arrogance. Like it's an arrogant belief to have. There's no doubt. I'm not saying he's an arrogant guy in general. I don't know. I've never met him. But like in those, in that, that particular, we've all got arrogant beliefs. We just don't know they're arrogant because we believe them honestly, but we they will be arrogant. I mean, but yeah, I think I think you know you it, this is the sort of dialogue that should be had more between. And you know, there are more. I think this is becoming more and more common. I think that period of like extremely toxic religious debate, as far as I'm aware, it's somewhat come to an end. Like I, I watched some of a religious debate the other day um, between a Christian and an atheist, and it was about the truth in an objective sense about whether there's religion and why both of them were disagreeing about it. But they were friends. So they were even though they were arguing quite significantly and they were trying to 
they were talking about does God exist? And they were both arguing about that. It was uh, pleasant to listen to because they weren't being disrespectful. They were being respectful towards one another, you know, and just having that discussion. So, yeah, I think it's been a really fun discussion, mate, and I really enjoyed it. So, yeah, and I think this discussion has definitely made us grow deeper as friends, too. For sure. Like, I do feel like this was very fruitful. Mm. And we both listened to what each other had to say, and we may have not been able to agree on everything, but I see you more clearly defined as a person. And I'm so happy that I got to know this side of you. Mm. And, and and you too, mate. And the story of you, how you became religious, your relationship with uh, becoming a follower of Christ, I think is like a very interesting and like human uh, experience. You know, like going from, you know, feeling you have to leave this institution of power, but at the same time, the core tenets of what you believe is still true. And then realizing that you had to separate yourself from the human aspect of it to and you know follow your faith is is a beautiful thing because I can feel that it's made you a happier person, a better person, a person with purpose, and they're brilliant things. And I would never want to take that away from somebody. I think that's the key. If someone said to me, "Do you want to take uh, stop Mitch being religious tomorrow?" I'm, I would never do that because I can see it's added to your life. And I, I, you know, I, I, so that's the world I want is people to have the things in life that they need to live a good life. And, you know, um, yeah, so thank you so much. And, um, for me as well, you've also added a lot to, uh, for me in terms of this discussion about religion, because, you know, before this, I never really talked about religion. Once I stopped being religious, I never talked or thought about my experiences of being religious until that podcast. I mean, afterwards discussing it with you. Um, you know, it was interesting to think about because it was and probably has shaped me more in life than I've given it credit for, you know, because obviously I've just moved on. But like in reality, you know, I spent again, you know, there was a period between 11 and 13 ish, maybe 12. So not that long, but like a year and a half, two years where I was going three or four times a week, you know, to church. And I think that'd be a great podcast episode too, where we could talk about our different experiences in the church. So I don't know how in deep you were, how, how deep in the church you were, but I think a podcast episode on that alone would be really yeah. interesting. I'd love to learn more about that. Well, I think we kind of life. picked up and dropped, in terms of our, the ages in which we, you kind of really committed to it at an age where I actually pretty much simultaneously pulled out completely, you know, like, um, which is an interesting thing to think about. And it is, we did have, to, and I know like my, I was very lucky to have a, you know, both my parents were always very much involved. Like my dad was in the the church band playing the guitar, you know, like my mum was loving it, you know what I mean? So like it was both, it was a family excursion, you know, so. Um, but yeah, anyway, uh, thank you so much for coming on, mate. And we're, you're definitely going to be back, well, as long as you want to be. Oh, definitely. Talking about other subjects as well, like, you know, there's a million things we could talk about, Vietnam, Tefl, you know, there's a, there's a lot of things we've, we could talk about, um. In the meantime, uh, is there anything you want to finish on? Everybody, thank you for listening. That's all I got, Rich. Right, that's brilliant. That's fine. I mean, I'm sure you're going to be back. And um, also, I want to say, I'm going to leave links to 6PI. Uh, oh, God, I, oh, it's, it's guaranteed because it's no. everyone should listen. Rich, really, if I ever go to hell, that's going to be the first thing that they show me. They, I, they, well, I, mean, I swear. I mean, guys, I promise you it's good. And uh, 
The other thing is as well, uh, Mitch the stream, so I'm going to leave the streaming link in the comments. So please give that a watch too. It's good fun. Uh, I was playing games with Mitch the other day, and uh, yeah, I wasn't good, but it was fun to play. Well, I wasn't so. good either. You were dying less than I was. But it makes it a relatable stream. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, all right, guys. Uh, thanks so much for listening, and uh, wow, we've recorded for almost two hours. I'm sure it'll be a bit less by the end, but yeah, thanks for listening, and goodbye, guys. Thanks, Mitch.